Welcome to the Best of the God Reports podcast. I am your host, Rebecca, and I'm here today with my husband, Sin. We're excited you joined us because today we're going to be listening to an interview with Howard Storm as he tells about his incredible journey into hell. I was a double atheist, says Howard, who became a tenured art professor at Northern Kentucky University by age 27. I was a know-it-all college professor. On the last day of a three-week European art tour he held, Howard stood in his room with his wife and another student, and suddenly he screamed and dropped to the floor in agony. He was rushed to the hospital. Howard says, I was terrified of dying because it meant lights out, the end of the story. It seemed horrible that at age 38, when I felt powerful and successful in my life, it would all come to an end in such a ridiculously pitiful way. Howard had suffered from a hole in his stomach that was slowly leading to certain death. We pick up the interview right at the moment he has told his wife goodbye and lost consciousness. Enjoy this interview with God Reports journalist Mark Ellis from 2012. Was probably not unconscious for very long when I felt um, very. Not only was I conscious and standing next to the bed, but I felt um, more alive than I'd ever felt in my life. And what that means is, I was my senses, my five senses were greatly heightened. Huh. I could see, smell, touch, taste. Um, here better than I ever had been able to in my life, huh. which was very um, strange. Also, I didn't have the pain in my stomach, although I was very aware that I was sick and needed to have surgery. Yeah. I was in the hospital next to my bed, and so I was, um, I found the whole thing, I mean, I was glad that I didn't have the pain anymore, and I was glad that I was feeling better than I'd ever felt in my life. Um, but I was also very confused and disturbed by the whole situation. And that became more disturbing because when I tried to communicate with my wife and with the other man in the room, my, my roommate, um, they had no awareness of me hmm. there. So they, I thought they were ignoring me. So that made me angry that they wouldn't interact with me. Well, did you see yourself lying on the bed, though? Yeah, yeah, I was going to get to that. I saw, I saw um, my body lying on the bed, but I refused to believe that it was me because I knew that it couldn't possibly be me because I was standing there, so how could that be me, although it looked like me? Yeah. And I knew that, you know, and I knew that that was crazy, but if I accepted that that was me in the bed, then who was I standing next to the bed? Yes. You know what I mean? A, so, a philosophical it, quandary. Yeah, which unfortunately, and I was in the middle of it. I mean, it was like, you know, this is, I mean, I, I mean, I, my sense was this is very, very bad, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, so I heard people outside the room calling me, and they were calling me by name, and they spoke English no French accent, and that was very strange, because mm -hmm. everybody in the French hospital spoke French. Yes. Sp 
English with a French accent, of course. And uh, so anyways, they were saying, you know, come with us, hurry up, let's go. So I went over to the doorway, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't come into the room, which was light, and the hallway was unlit. The hallway was very dingy. Hmm. Right. And uh, I said, are you from the doctor because I'm sick, I need to have surgery, I've been waiting. And they said, we know all about you, we've been waiting for you, and it's time for you to go, hurry up, no more questions, let's go. Hmm. So I left the room and went with these people. And uh, they took me on a very long journey through a um, gray space that got increasingly darker and darker and darker. We never went, um, it never felt like we went up, down, or anywhere. It just, we just walked and walked and walked. Um, You're walking this whole time? Yeah. Huh. And, I mean, and part of, and, you know, I'm just having all these thoughts, like, why am I not tired? I mean, I just had the worst day of my life, and I'm not at all tired. Huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, how, why, I mean, all of these things are so, and when I would ask these people who were around me, you know, where are we going, what's the doctor's name, how come it's taking so long, you know, how far, how much further is it, stuff like that. Their answers were, shut up, be quiet, don't ask questions, you know, hmm. you'll find out, da-da-da, like that. Hmm. So, um, I'm becoming increasingly fearful um, because I'm beginning to lose my... <laughs> my trust in these people. Yeah. And, uh, eventually, it's so dark that I'm just plain terrified. And I say, I'm not going any further. Um, I want to go back. And they said, um, you're almost there. And I said, I'm not going. And they said, and so they started to push and pull at me. And so uh, we had a big fight. Hmm. And the fight turned into um, them annihilating me. Wow. Which they did um, very slowly and with much relish. Wow. Um, they, um, they had no, no compassion, um, no pity. And I tried to fight them off, but... There were many of them. But it seemed like you were a physical body, and, and you, oh, were, yeah. you were receiving yeah. physical blows or whatever. Oh, yeah. And mostly they were um, biting and tearing. Huh. And uh, this went on for a long time. And then, um, and then they did other things to um, humiliate me and violate me, which I, I don't talk about. Wow. And... Um, eventually I was no longer very amusing to them anymore, and I was lying on the floor of that place all ripped apart, um, unable to move, and... There was actually a floor. Well, the, the ground or whatever it was we were on, you know? Yeah. Place. Um, and... People were kicking me, and I wasn't responding anymore because I, I was, I didn't, I couldn't respond anymore. I was all spent out emotionally, and 
I heard my voice say to me, pray to God, and I thought, um, I don't pray. Hmm. I believe in God. And a second time, the voice, which was my voice, I mean, I, I recognized the voice as my voice, but I was not saying this to me. I don't know where my voice was coming from. It was all very weird. But a, a second time, my voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I wouldn't know how to pray if I wanted to pray. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't pray. Yeah. I don't know how to pray. And the voice said a third time, pray to God. And the, the third time, it was like a little more insistent. And so I started to think about when I was a kid and went to Sunday school and we prayed. And I was trying to remember prayers because I had left the church when I was 15 years old and as far as I knew, praying was like reciting uh, prayers that you memorized. Okay. Was, was it, did you have a Catholic background or? No. It was Protestant. Okay. Um, and so I'm trying to remember things that I'd memorized when I was young. Yeah. And uh, I was having a lot of trouble, and it was very confusing. But as I became frustrated and muttered a few of these little bits and pieces of prayer, um, the people that were around me became extremely angry. And they were saying to me in um, very, very obscene language that there is no God, nobody could hear me, and that if I kept praying, they were going to really, really hurt me. Okay. What, they made it clear that what they'd done to me was nothing compared to what they're going to do to me now if I didn't stop. Wow. But I also noticed that by praying, um, it was so unbearable to them every time I mentioned God in any way, shape, or form that they kept backing off and backing off. So I finally had found a way to defend myself from them by my um, very crude little bits of um, prayer. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm yelling and screaming this stuff at them. And, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you know, glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth goes marching on. You know, I pledge allegiance to the flag. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, God bless America, Lynn, that I love, you know. <laughs> yeah, any, any little scrap of something. Yeah, yeah. As long as that got in it, it was effective. Yeah. You know? And so, um, eventually, I realized that the only thing I could hear anymore was me yelling and screaming this stuff. And they were, they'd gone. I, I knew that they weren't too far away, but I knew that they were gone. Hmm. So then I'm left in this place, and so I had an opportunity in eternity um, to think about my life. Now, now I, was there a, a large crowd that you saw at one point of people? No, there was a large crowd of people tearing me apart. Well, that's what I mean. I couldn't see. It was pitch black. I couldn't see anything. I see. Okay. Okay. So... Um, I thought about my life, and I came to the conclusion, because I didn't have any theological background whatsoever, that because I had led a crummy life, that I had gone down the um, sewer pipe of the universe into the septic tank, and I was with the other um, human garbage. Uh. And what was happening 
was is that I was being um, processed by the garbage people into garbage like them. Uh. And I mean, you know, interestingly enough, of course, Jesus refers to hell as you know Gehenna, which was the garbage garbage dump outside Jerusalem. Interesting. But anyways, um, I didn't know that then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyhow. It, it, it seemed like my wife had been like a complete failure, that I had been, a, um, I felt that I had been a really bad person, that whatever life was supposed to be about, and I didn't have a clue what that was, I had missed it, you know, and yeah. whatever you were supposed to do with this thing called life, I, mm. I hadn't done the right thing. I didn't know what the right thing was, but whatever it was, I didn't do it. I didn't know what that was. And um, that what I had received was exactly what I deserved and the people that I were, had been attacked by were people like me and um, they were my um, kindred spirits so to speak and that now I was going to be stuck with them forever and ever. The only thing that I knew was going to happen was when they came back it was going to get a lot worse that this was not I was not in the final destination we were still I was still in the processing mm-hmm so, um, things seemed really, really bleak. I was full of self-loathing and self-pity and um, hopelessness. And in that state, a memory of myself as a child um, in Sunday school came to me, and we were in Sunday school singing Jesus Loves Me. Hmm. Um, I was probably nine or ten years old, and it was a very vivid memory, but... It, was, it wasn't just the memory or the words, it was that I also knew that as that child I believed that there was this really cool guy named Jesus and he really loved me and he was my buddy and he would take care of me, etc., etc. Hmm. No. I mean, a, a, a child understanding of Jesus. You actually had a memory of that. Yeah, and I, and I could feel it. I mean, I could feel it. I mean, I could, I could feel that inside of me. Hmm. And um, so I thought, I'll give Jesus a try. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have nothing to lose. Right. And I, did, I didn't know whether Jesus, I mean, I started to think, and I thought, well, you know, I mean, even if Jesus is real, and even if he is what I thought he was, why would he care about me, you know, since mm -hmm. I've been, like, so crummy to him, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure he hates my guts. You know, and then I thought, no, I'm tired of all this thinking. I'm just going to um, ask him. You know, no more thinking. Just yeah. ask him. So I yelled out into the darkness, Jesus, please save me. And when I did that, he came. Wow. And um, he came bathed in white, beautiful, brilliant light. And he, his arms reached down and touched me. And this was the first time that I could see anything because I'd been in complete darkness. And when I saw me in his light, it was pretty ghastly because I was all gore. Oh, my. And uh, when he touched me, I just started um, coming back together. I mean, everything just kind of healed up and came back together. And what had been just like a total body of pain um, was
was all healed and I felt wonderful, but more importantly, he filled me with um, a love that I never knew existed and can't possibly describe to anyone, unfortunately. Wow. So he um, picked me up and he put his arms around me and he held on to me and I held on to him and um, I cried my heart out. Wow. He, and he rubbed my back. Unbelievable. And then he carried me out of there and he took me up and we were headed towards what I finally came to realize where we were headed towards where God lives. And I said to him, I thought, I didn't say to him, I thought in my head, I said, he's made a terrible mistake. I'm garbage and I don't belong here. Mm. And he spoke to me for the first time and he said, we don't make mistakes and you do belong here. Ha. But we stopped moving and um, so there we were hanging in space, me hanging onto him, molding onto me. So, so there was no longer ground, you were in the air. Yeah. We're in space somewhere. Yeah. Darkness behind us and light in front of us, you know. Ha. Huh. So, um, finally, uh, he, was, he could read everything that I was thinking and he put his voice into my head. And so we're having this very rapid, instantaneous conversation because I'd think he'd react it speak, I'd think, you know, boom, 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 I'm going to play quick. Yeah. And uh, then he said that he had friends that had my life, and they wanted to show me my life. So he called out, and some other, I refer to them as angels, other beings came, and they hung around us, and we went over my life. And that was a terrible, horrible experience. Because hmm. as my life progressed, as I'm went into my adolescence and into my adulthood, things started to deteriorate. Mm. I saw that I was becoming a um, selfish, um, unloving person. And very successful, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I did really well in the world. Um, in academia? Yeah. Okay. I was selling my art. I had galleries carrying my work. I was, I was tenured in a full professor when I was 27 um, years old. Well, what uh, school were you at? Northern Kentucky University. Okay. Um, I was a department head, blah, blah, all that stuff. And I didn't know that was possible at age 20. Seven. 27. Yeah. Okay. And I was really young. I mean, I was, I was doing good, you know, and I was a jerk. Mm. I cheated on my wife, um, proudly, you know. Mm. Um, very heavy drinker, you know. Anyways, um, it was horrible because I'm in the arms of, like, this wonderful, holy, loving, kind person, and we're looking at all this stuff, and it was um, embarrassing doesn't begin to describe it. <laughs> mm. So he stayed with you while you were doing this? Yeah. Okay. And he, sh and he shared his um, pain and disappointment in what we were watching with me. Gee. And I knew that uh, what I was doing um, literally hurt him. 
Isn't that something? Yeah. It's um, hard for me to uh, describe it, but I really felt that like when I did these things, it was like sticking a knife into his heart. Jay. So, um, eventually we got through all that. And he asked me if I had any questions, and I said I have a million questions, and so I proceeded to ask my questions, and he answered my questions very kindly and patiently. And then when I couldn't think of anything more to ask, I said, I'm ready to go to heaven. And he said, um, you're not going to heaven, you're going back to the world. Gee. So we had a big argument, um, and I was arguing that it would be better for me to go to heaven, and, and he was trying to very patiently and kindly persuade me that um, that wasn't going to happen, and I had to go back to the world and um, try and do a better job, you know. Yeah. But how many are how many are, are given this unusual opportunity? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I've, I consider myself most fortunate. Yes. But I did pay a price to get there. You know? Yeah. I hope nobody has to, because I really feel like I was um, very stupid, very wrong. Anyhow, uh, eventually um, I agreed to come back, and when I did, I was back. Huh. And immediately when I came back, it was now 10 o'clock at night, and the nurse who had been in the room a half an hour, no, excuse me, it was 9 o'clock at night, and the nurse who was in the room at 8.30, came back into the room and said, doctors arrived at the hospital, and um, you're going to have your surgery. And so they prepped me, and I had the surgery at 10 o'clock. Oh, that is, that is incredible, because in human terms, you should have died. Yeah. And you were conscious. Yeah. I mean, would, I wonder if you even really needed the surgery after <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah. And they, and they botched the surgery, so. Oh, my. I was sick. I was sick for a long time, but, um. That there were a whole lot of miracles involved in all that stuff, too. Gee. Well, um, you, you came back in the room. You, you had been unconscious. Suddenly you're conscious. You're talking to the nurse or con conversing with her. And you go through the surgery. What, what did you start saying when you came out to your wife and others? Well, when the, when the nurse came in, in to take me, to prep me for surgery, they physically removed my wife, so I only saw her passing her in the hall on the gurney on the way to surgery. And I said to her, you know, everything's going to be really good now. Hmm. She cried because she thought those were just brave words. Hmm. And I, meant, I mean, I really meant it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she didn't get that. So then... When, after I had the surgery the next day on Sunday when, I was, when she was finally allowed to see me, I had been preparing for hours what I was going to say to her because I just had major surgery and all this stuff. I was really, really weak and tired. You know, and so yeah. I, wanted to, um, I wanted to have a speech ready. So um, when she came into the room, I tried to tell her, I said, it's all love and that you need to... Um, let yourself go and let yourself fall into the love because the love is waiting for you. Hmm. And you don't have to suffer anymore. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah. Well, she said, you need to go back to sleep. 
Um, and she didn't, she of course thought I was just muttering craziness, you know. Yeah. And so, um, after that, every time I saw her, I started trying to tell her about Jesus and the angels and hell and all this stuff, and she, um, she didn't like it. Ah, so was she an atheist as well? Yes. Okay. When did she uh, finally realize that you were, had this experience and it was real? Or what, what happened to the two uh, of you? Never. She, she divorced me. Really? Yep. How long after, how long afterward? Um, almost 20 years. 20 years later? Well, that, that took a long time. Yeah, um, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I mean, I don't like divorce, I don't want divorce, but she, um, I mean, I tried, but she just couldn't take it anymore. Huh. As soon as I was physically able, I started reading the Bible, and then since nobody, my kids and my wife and my old friends, nobody believed me. I started memorizing verses from the Bible, and when they would come, I would give them Bible lectures <laughs> with memorized verses. Well, that didn't go over very well. Yeah. And as soon as I was, actually, I wasn't actually ready, able, I mean, physically, I wasn't really ready, but anyways, when, as soon as it was possible for me to go to church, I went to a church because I was desperate to go to a church. Hmm. Well, how, you know, that's that's the one, I guess, heart, heartache in all of this is that those you love yep. the most yep. did not see the light. Yep. Gee. The good news is after she left me, I met a wonderful Christian woman, and we got married, and we've been married for six years. Oh. She is my joy. <laughs> well, praise God for that. Yeah. Uh, well, th this is such an amazing story. Now, you, you wrote a book about all this? Yes. And what's the name of the book? My Descent into Death. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information, go to godreports.com.